So for our message today, I want to introduce Dr. Bill nicely. Uh, he's been a part of our leadership team here at the church. Uh, he's been a mentor to me personally. Uh, this is a subject that's, that's very near and dear to him. So uh, I thought it would be a great opportunity uh, for him to bring the word today. Uh, and in addition to all those things, uh, he's been a great friend. Uh, one of the traditions I like that we're starting here at our church is uh, those of us who are on staff or, I don't know, got a name tag and, and get up and preach, I think there's a certain amount of expectations. Like, like you're not surprised when Jeremy's good at singing, right? Like, it's his job. Well, folks that get up and preach, they're doing it just because they feel that call, because they've been asked, because they literally got a call from me. Uh, <laughs> and so just to encourage folks uh, to have uh, a good experience, just, just to say thank you, not afterwards, based on whether we liked it or not, but just for having the guts to do it, what I'd invite you to do is to go ahead and give a preemptive standing ovation and get up on your feet for my guy, Dr. Bill Nicely! Good morning, everybody. Thank you for that. The, in the first service on the way out, when well, I was shaking hands because that's what you do, I guess, um, somebody stopped and said, is it a prerequisite if you're going to preach you have to wear a plaid shirt? <laughs> yes, it is. So remember that in case you find yourself up here. Um, so I, I, as Adam said, I'm on the leadership team. Um, I've been on the leadership team of this church since January of 2020. And basically during the pandemic years, I've been on the leadership team. It's been a challenge, right? Um, the pandemic has been a challenge for everybody, but I think particularly a challenge for churches. And um, the way that I feel like our church has navigated due to, in large part, our awesome pastors, our, our support staff, and then the leadership team has just been incredible. So I wanna give a shout out to our leadership team members um, they've, they just have done a tremendous job when you see them pat them on the back. Um, it's sort of like uh, during the pandemic, it's, it's there, the mindset was not can we just get through this like a lot of folks were, but it was how can we change up the church service to make it equally as valuable during the pandemic. And then now as we have emerged, I hope we've emerged from the pandemic, it is the same thing. How do we proceed forward in a new and different way um, following the United Methodist Church mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I love that mission because it's so dang bold, right? Disciples of Jesus Christ for literally the transformation of the world. Um, that really resonates with me. Today's message is a continuation of the sermon series that Adam started last week, No Fear in Love. Um, I would encourage all of us to maybe think boldly like the UMC mission as well. Our scripture reading today, as Jared read earlier, was Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely you, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. These are Jesus' own words spoken to the 12 disciples. 
um, on a mountaintop outside of Galilee. This was after the resurrection. So if you think about it, it was after Jesus' crucifixion, following the stone being rolled away, after the resurrection on a mountaintop talking to the 12 disciples. Um, it's almost surreal to think what that would have been like if, if you were there. Um, these are really interesting words for us to think about, and I think they're quite profound, because Jesus didn't say, um, go and make disciples of some nations. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, go and make disciples of people that just look like us. He said, all. Will Willimon, the author of the book, Fear of the Other, No Fear in Love, which this sermon series is based on, says this about John 3.16. Like, we all know John 3.16. Willimon says, for God so loved me, or the church, or folks that look like me, that he gave. No, it's for God so loved the world. Jesus, the one who hung out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the leper, said to these 12 apostles, go make disciples of everyone, everyone on the planet. Tell them the good news. Turns out Jesus was just about as all-inclusive as you can get. But the question is, how does this message translate to you and me? And how does it translate to this church right here in Kearney, Missouri? I really like what Willimon says next. He says, it's really important to recognize that there's only one God. Believing that there is only one God encourages us in encounters with the most hostile other to consider the prophetic possibility that God is moving towards us in the other. The other may be regarded by us as the other, but never to God. The way I interpret that is, to God, there is no outsider, no person who's different, because God knows the soul of everybody, everybody on this planet. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a peace of mind so that when I encounter somebody different than me, somebody that looks different or acts different or maybe speaks a different language, instead of being afraid of this other, I should recognize that God knows and loves this person. This is what Willimon refers to as uh, no fear in love. It's really a pragmatic way of looking at things, if you think about it. I particularly appreciate that because uh, as a self-described science nerd, um, I really like pragmatism, right? So let's think about the second half of that, verse 20, where he says, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what have we been commanded? What have we been commanded by God? I like the way, um, I like Matthew verse 22, 36 through 40, because it makes sense this way. Jesus was asked by somebody, teacher, which is the greatest of the commandments in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest of the commandments. And then second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws of the prophets hang in these two commandments. Okay, let's figure this out. Love your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. 
That makes sense, right? And pretty easy to do. Now we hear, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor, well, the one that may not be so lovable, the one that maybe sometimes speaks ill of you, the one that maybe doesn't look like you or speak the same language or is of different sexuality or a different color or maybe a different political persuasion. What Jesus is telling us is, I don't want you to fear the other because I know and love them. But in addition to that, the message is, I want you to love them too. And sometimes that's a little bit diff more difficult. Dr. Dr. Yolanda Cargyle is the current superintendent of the Center School District. She grew up in the Hickman Mills area. I feel fortunate to have had her as a colleague when I was a school superintendent and now as a friend. In preparation for this message, I asked her a question. I said, I've heard it said that when it comes to who's going to get the administrative job like a superintendent, there's this saying that goes something like, first it's the white guy, and then it's the black guy, and then it's the white female, and then it's the black female. I asked her, I said, do you think that's true? And she said, oh yeah, it's true. Continuing, she said, there's a decent amount of diversity among school leaders in the Kansas City metro area, um, but when I attend state-level school administrative conferences, it's clear there's far less diversity represented. Um, then I asked her, how do you think your experiences at these conferences are maybe are they similar to the experiences children of color have in our schools here at Kearney? And she said, yes, the answer is yes. But she said this, I get filled with anxiety just thinking about it because students of color in districts like Kearney, particularly elementary students, don't yet know how to advocate for themselves. They don't know what to do when somebody says something that doesn't sound right or makes them feel uncomfortable. Before coming back home to Kansas City, Dr. Cargill worked in Wisconsin when her own child was of school age, and they found themselves in a very similar situation because it was a similar community. She said, I said to my husband, we have to teach this boy how to advocate for himself and to know what's appropriate language and what's not. When I asked her about the majority of white kids in Kearney schools, she said this, as educators, we try to teach, we think to ourselves, what do we want our students to be able to accomplish when they graduate, by the time they graduate high school? What do we want them to accomplish? That's sort of the question, that big question educators asked. She said, I would ask the parents of white students in Kearney, what skills and personal attributes do you want your children to have when they leave your home? What are you teaching them about diversity? How are the parents of Kearney creating experiences for their children to interact with and treat children and people that don't look like them? How are we creating positive experiences for children that don't look like us or everyone else? And then she said, what you permit 
you promote. Just sit on that one a minute. What you permit, you promote. Like this message is not about kids, is it? It's not about schools either. It's about us as individuals in this church and in this community. I think we can all stand to reflect a little bit on what we have perhaps unconsciously been promoting because of what we've been permitting. This past late February and early March, Joan and I, my wife Joan, took a three-week travel trailer trip down to Gulf Shore, Alabama. This is one of our favorite places to go. We take our camper down there and we spend three weeks. It's great because I can do a little work online while I'm down there. Love technology. Um, While we were down there, I was reading in the local newspaper about this sailing ship, a schooner that was docked, uh, it was going to be docked in Mobile Bay for a short time. And the reason this caught my attention is because um, it was a high school classroom. So, and these students were from Maine. And so they learned how to sail. Most of them have never had any sailing experience. They learned how to sail. They learned what how to live on a 60-foot vessel, and then they set out in the Atlantic Ocean and came down to Mobile Bay from all the way up in Maine. It was quite amazing. This is the picture of the captain uh, that I I took a selfie of. I was so excited. We talked for a long time. It was a cold and windy day, but um, it was super cool. He's not just the captain. He's their teacher as well. This trip had a theme to it. Students were sailing down the East Coast learning as they went about the history of the American slave trade. So they stopped in Mobile Bay for two reasons. First, during the height of the slave trade, it was the second busiest port in the country for unloading and then the sale of enslaved Africans. And second, they came to visit and learn about the Clotilda, the last slave ship to arrive on U.S. soil. And this is a picture, it's not actually a picture of the exact Clotilda, but it's a, a picture of what it looked, a similar ship looked like. Um, in 1860, long after importing slaves was outlawed, but before the Emancipation Proclamation, the Clotilda, under the cover of darkness, arrived in Mobile Bay, unloaded its cargo, and then it was sailed upstream, set on fire, and sunk. They recently discovered the remains of the Clotilda underwater. Um, Google that. It's really a fascinating read. So these students were able to see the wreckage firsthand, learn about the vessel, and learn what those who found it um, were doing to recover it. So following the Emancipation Proclamation in 1865, all of the humans on that last voyage were freed from those who enslaved them. And because it was only five years later, they tried to go back to Africa, their home, but they had no money to do so. So they formed their own community, not far from where that ship was sunk, and they called it Africa Town. And it still exists there today. On our way home from Gulf Shores, driving back, pulling the camper, we went over a highway 
And as I looked off to the right, we saw Africatown as we, as we drove through. I was both fascinated and heartbroken to think that in that very place, five generations of descendants from this one slave ship still live in this community with such a dreadful history. So this weekend we celebrate 4th of July, the independence of the United States from England, a place where freedom of religion was not permitted. Um, I really enjoy celebrating the 4th of July, not as much as our Pastor Adam. We know that, right? Like nobody enjoys it as much as Adam does. Um, I enjoy it because I consider myself a patriot. With all the problems and disagreements and sins of the past, this is still a great country and I feel blessed to live here. But we must all try to find a way forward, a way that doesn't involve repeating mistakes of the past, a way in which God commands us to do, but not just commands us to do, helps us by providing pragmatic advice. How do we do that? I'll be the first to acknowledge it's hard to try to think of doing something different or think of things from a different point of view, maybe somebody else's point of view. Like, I'm a textbook case of somebody who really has a difficulty with this. Um, just ask my wife, she'll tell you. I'm really good at knowing all the answers. A while back, we took a, another camper trip just out to Smithville Lake for the weekend. Short trip. Um, I really enjoy packing the camper, like making sure everything is in its right place. All the things are stowed away securely. Nothing falls out. The last thing that I pack getting the camper ready is the bicycles. They go on the bike rack, which is on the very back of the camper, right? And because I'm such a savvy packer, I take... Listen to this, this is brilliant. I, I, I take the power cord that's coming out of the camper and I wrap it around the bicycles in the rack to make doubly secure they won't fall off, right? So this particular day as we drove into the park, um, there was some construction and it was really bumpy. And because of the bumps, the bicycle rack failed and the bikes fell to the ground. But because I'm such a savvy packer, they were tethered to the camper, and we drug them about 300 yards. And, well, they were really nice bikes at one time. They weren't that way anymore. And so as we were driving in, dragging the bikes, um, people were trying to get our attention. Like, and I thought, camping people are friendly people, because they're just way. Joan said, I think we better stop. There's something wrong. And finally, I pulled over and um, happened to be right in front of the, play, the largest playground out there. So there was full of kids playing, except they had stopped playing, right? Because they were looking at these weird people dragging bicycles. And uh, got out of the car, got out of the truck, walked back there. Uh, they were in terrible disrepair. And I very angrily picked up this heaping mess of mangled bicycles and threw them in the back of the truck. And we went to our campsite, and of course, there was no bicycling that weekend. Um, about a week later, I was recounting that story to a friend of mine who was also a camper. And when I got done, he, he looked at me and he said, dude, 
why did you ever think that wrapping a power cord around the bicycles was a good idea? Right? And I thought, to me, it was just like a sinking feeling. Like, what? I, I don't know. It's, it seemed like such a great idea, right? What I learned that day was, just when I think I have it all figured out, I get humbled a little bit, or, or in this case, a lot. If I'm open to it, I might even come away with a different point of view. My guess is that God wants us to be open to new ideas as well, to consider things we might not have thought about before. I guess I would encourage all of us to maybe use my story as an example of the, how to have a little bit of an open mind. I want to give a shout out to Eugene Peterson because he's Adam Musto's favorite author. Eugene Peterson said, obedience reduced to nothing. Obedience reduced to not doing something is only half obedience. Obedience reduced to not taking action is only half obedience. Like, this message is not about the kids in school. It's all of us. This is like, and I think about this as an example in my head. I think if I'm a Kansas City Chiefs football player or the football team, I'm going to say, I love NFL. I love playing football. I want to win all these games, but I'm not going to play any offense, only defense. Like, this doesn't make sense, does it? So, if not doing anything is not an option, then what are the options? What is it that's actionable? What is it that each of us as individuals can do? And what can we do as a church? Here are a couple things. Last week, Adam said, first we have to recognize othering when it happens both within ourselves and in others. Second, when we do recognize it, let's speak up when it happens. I would add to that and just say, let's be aware of what's happening around us and not unintentionally promote racism or racial bullying because we permit it to happen. Take to heart it. Take to heart. If you permit it, you promote it. Dr. Cargyle says, just be an ally. Right? Just be an ally. I love that. Um, the Missouri Conference of United Methodist Church has been really involved in race and culture lately. This is the conference that we belong to, our state. Um, you can check out resources and learn more at this website, moumethodist.org slash race and culture. I would encourage you to check that out as well. If we do these things that are actionable as individuals and we collectively as a church work hard, we may realize that God's love for everybody on this planet means that we don't have to fear anyone. And in doing so, we can work earnestly and justly making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And as he says, everybody says, Amen. Pray with me, if you will. So, Father, um, first of all, I want to thank you for helping me out today get through this sermon series. Um, 
appreciate everything that you do for this church and the tremendous leaders that are in this church that help to guide its direction and take action um, so that we don't unnecessarily promote because of what we're permitting. Help us to think consciously as we're out in the world and our community about what's going on around us. Help us to be an ally. Also, please help keep everybody safe this 4th of July. Amen.